Hello, everyone. This is Michelle McKenzie, and welcome to the WTF Podcast, where we demystify entrepreneurship and the fog around funding. One One Coca Full Basket is an old Jamaican proverb that I grew up hearing that means little by little, you get the job done. Something like that. My guest is Nick Davis, the founder and CEO or chief chocolate officer of One One Cacao. One One Cacao is an internationally recognized, award-winning, small-batch chocolate company based in St. Mary, Jamaica. In this episode, we'll discuss some key things that chocolate consumers need to know about the chocolate industry and the chocolate supply chain, his fundraising journey for One One Cacao, some of the biggest challenges and opportunities as a startup in the chocolate industry filled with big multinational players, and what he is most hopeful about in the startup chocolate sector. Nick, welcome to the WTF Podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much. So let's get into it. Tell me about your chocolate journey. Wow. So I've always loved chocolate. Uh, Always really, really loved like Easter egg chocolate. That was like my go-to when I was a kid. It's like this stuff is so much better than the normal stuff. Why do you only get it once a year? And like my parents basically, you know, there's different ways that you can raise a child, right? Um, you know, sometimes, especially in Caribbean households, it can be kind of uh, if you don't if you don't, if you don't hear, you'll feel, right? Back in the day, but my parents kind of used um, they kind of use a carrot and a stick, and the, and and the carrot was always like feeding me. Okay, I was never scared of my belly, never scared to eat, <laughs> right? And so because of that, they could always use chocolate as a way of being able to elicit behavior okay or i don't know you could call it bribery one or the other either way it worked right and so i always had a soft spot for chocolate but i really got into chocolate through my career um basically i ended up going to college i did a psychology degree and then from there i ended up working for the bbc and i was in north america for for quite a few years working as a reporter there before i came down to the caribbean to be one of their reporters um it was there that I ended up doing a story about the Grenada Chocolate Company uh, in that Eastern Caribbean island and about how they were making chocolate from tree to bar. So literally the farmers being empowered to grow better cacao and then being part of the whole process of turning it into uh, value add by making it into chocolate. And I was so impressed by what they were doing that one of the founders uh, said to me at the end of the conversation, well, why don't you do this yourself? And I was like, I'd love to see this in Jamaica. Wouldn't it be great? And he was like, yeah, half our equipment came from St. Mary in the first place. You know, this this isn't, this. these things have happened, but it was never at the highest quality, you know, because mm-hmm. almost we weren't told that we could produce the highest quality. You know, it's that whole thing of black excellence, you know, leave it to other people to, you know, do it better. You know, the Belgians are renowned for their chocolate. The Just sell them the beans and let them take it from there. Absolutely. Take it to the bar. And mm-hmm. something something seemed really kind of, uh, of a miss with all of that. And so I got reading, you know, that studying my book thing came in useful because I basically learned everything I could about how to make chocolate, how chocolate was processed from bean to bar. Truth be told, like many people grew up, you know, going and picking cocoa and breaking open the pods and sucking the fruit from around the seeds. I, as you can tell by this accent, did not grow up in the Caribbean. And so therefore, this is totally alien to me. I didn't even know the trees grew here. I was like, they're from Africa. But it isn't until you get into it that you realize that the trees 
in Africa came from here, literally came from Jamaica. Jamaican beans were taken by Jamaican missionaries over to Ghana, which was actually the start of mass planting of cacao in West Africa. I actually did not know that. So that's a new piece of information for yeah. me. I did yeah. not know that the trees, the and, and Ghana being one of the, the top exporters of, of cocoa beans right. um, that go into global chocolate. Absolutely. I did not know that those trees So, came so there's from a Jamaica. history. There's a history which kind of people of color, you know, be it the indigenous peoples of Central, South uh, and North America have been part of, be it the Taino in the Caribbean and the Arawakan speaking peoples, be it people of the African diaspora. We're part of parcel of the story, but yet we're not even associated with where the money is within this whole like value chain. You know, we're at the beginning, not the end. And and that's one of the reasons why I feel very passionate about. I feel very passionate about I feel very passionate about all forms of farming um, because that's where my that's where my people came from. That's where they came out of. And I feel that that's uh, almost kind of part of my inheritance. And so that's why I think we can't kind of separate. We can't separate agriculture from the people. It's great to go to college. It's great to do all of that sort of stuff. But, you know, the land, I definitely have a connection with the land. I'm a terrible farmer, but I definitely have a connection with the land. <laughs> I have a couple of questions. Sure. So how did you develop this connection with the land? You didn't grow up in farming. No. And you were a reporter leading yeah. up to this. So where did this connection with the land come from? Anytime you go to Jamaica, right, or any of the Caribbean islands, right? Well, that's not true. Not any of the Caribbean islands, because some of them are just like sandpits, right? But the ones which have got mountains, right? Dominica, mm-hmm. Saint Lucia, Grenada, Jamaica, Cuba, uh, Dominican Republic, and you see how verdant it is, right? And how you're surrounded by nature. You know, and you, you you hear like the old timers talking about where you drop a seed, it will grow. To me, that's just really, there's something very special about that. You know, about building and exposure. But let's switch back to chocolate for a little bit and sure. talk about how the chocolate supply chain is set up. So you have millions of cocoa farmers who are at the base of it, who many of whom are impoverished because they do not get the giant share of the profits that comes from the final product, which is the chocolate. Because normally, and especially in Africa, I, I, I just, I mentioned to you, I just got back from Madagascar and I was able to tour a chocolate making factory there. And, you know, in the traditional chocolate supply chain, it's the farmers and then you have collectors and then you have exporters and then you have importers and then you have the the manufacturers who then sell to brands and then it comes to the final consumer. Lots of people along the way chipping away at that profit from farmers. What are you, what problem are you solving with One One Cacao and the Cross Atlantic Chocolate Collective? And tell us about what the Cross Atlantic Chocolate Collective is. So the Cross Atlantic Chocolate Collective kind of fits into exactly what you were saying a moment ago. What you tend to find is people of colour um, tend to be at the bottom of that value chain. And there's no way to be able to effectively move them their way up. Madagascar, as a prime example, you Madagascar produces some of the finest cacao in the world, some of the best chocolate in the world. But yet, 
and you would have seen this there, it's one of the poorest, if not the poorest country within like sub-Saharan Africa. So how does I can that, attest. How how does how does that all fit together? If you're producing this super expensive, high quality cacao, but yet the people who grow it are not making enough money to be able to literally live. It's not sustainable. So this is what Cross Atlantic's trying to do. We're trying to change the way that the thing is set, trying to move production into places where it traditionally has not been. And with that, also the skills, because there's no reason that the skills cannot be put into these communities. I mentioned earlier on the Grenada Chocolate Company. Literally, they did that experiment, if you want to call it that, on one little street in one little town in one little country. And literally, it has been going for more than 20 years and has given people an opportunity to be able to to be proud of their communities and to be able to make a living, send their kids to school. Now, we have millions of cocoa farmers. Here in Jamaica, 6,000 people who grow a little cocoa, right? Most of them don't make enough money from that. What we're trying to do is figure a way to be able to add value in there, either by them doing their own processing Honestly, not every farmer wants to become a chocolate maker. You know, that's not necessarily their thing. But within the processing, so much can be done to improve the quality that if you are able to get more money for your beans further down the line, guess what? That means more money for the farmers. Because trust me, I don't want to be the guy who is taking with one hand from people who I'm working with. That is, you know... Living for the now and making money for now is great, but there there are repercussions. I don't mean from a religious point of view. Karma is coming for you, right, if that's how you live your life. So I, I don't want to be that guy. So it's a matter of, you know, bringing forth our better angels and making sure that everybody gets a fair slice of the pie, okay? That's all it is. At the moment, the way the system works, that doesn't happen. And especially within chocolate, it is like... Only about 6%. Think of you buying a, a, a chocolate bar for a dollar. Six cents goes to the farmer. Most of the rest of that money goes to the manufacturer. It goes to various middle persons going up the value chain. It goes to um, the, it, it just doesn't go, the big five, let's say, the, the sort of Nestle's, Frere Rocher, Hershey's, Mondelez, which is Cadbury. Um, Mars, I may have said, these companies are the ones who are making the money. They don't need all of that money. Really, is that simple? And yet they still refuse to pay fair wages because they know they can get away with it. They're the only game in town. That is not, I don't want to eat stuff where that's the case. So I think part of that is about consumer education as well. And I think you're quite big on that with the platform that you have. And yeah. how does that fit into what you're doing with the Cross-Atlantic Chocolate it's, Collective? It's, it's key. Like 20 years ago, more than 20 years ago, we were talking about the experience economy and how it was going to be the new age, right? It was going to take over from the technological age, the agrarian age. But experience still is a key part of what we need to do to be able to get people to understand that their chocolate is innately unfair. And, you know, they say that if you have to teach people about your product, your product isn't really a product. I disagree. I think people have... Not been... when it comes to chocolate. Not when it comes to chocolate. <laughs> Not when it comes no. to chocolate. But we need to make people aware that because a chocolate bar is easily accessible does not mean that it's right. 
okay? In the same way, where I lived in the UK when I was doing like my, my postgraduate, people don't have sugar in their tea and coffee, even now, because their great, 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 great grandparents basically boycotted it because of the links to slavery. We don't do that anymore. We don't, we don't make these sorts of active stands with our, our consumerism, okay? And especially, and, 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 it's, and that's, it's terrible, actually. You know, we, there's a lot we can do to make a difference in terms of how we spend our money, and often we don't. And I think that a chocolate bar, you know, is more than a chocolate bar. That's what I'm trying to do with Cross Atlantic, is trying to get across that idea that you can support and you can grow and you can improve people's lifestyle. <laughs> so yeah, we can make a difference in terms of our consumer behavior. And I think education is a part of that. What we want to do is try and, especially through our cross-Atlantic chocolate experiences, through our tastings, where people are tasting different chocolates from different makers across the globe, is show that when you have a bar from Tanzania and it is using local ingredients, that is not the same as buying single egg. origin. Yeah, single origin made by the people in the communities where it's grown. You can't. That is not what you get from like uh, Snickers. That's not what you get from an Aero. That's not what you get. None of these things, right, are the same as that. Okay, and there's so much more to it. There's so much more to it. So, is part of the mission of the collective to sort of shift? the industry a bit to carve out some space for yeah let's say absolutely yeah a- absolutely i mean for those who have been pushed out of the industry even though they're really at the base of it and the ones who are making the least amount of money from it when we talk be, about you, you, farmers yeah. in the caribbean farmers in africa 100%. and small scale chocolate makers like you trying to create a space i'm, I'm kind of skipping ahead it's, no, no, no. It's, 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 it's creating our own space and, and i think that's a really important thing because and this is not taking away anything from a lot of the makers in the u.s or the uk or men anywhere but generally it's people in the global north who were talking about we are doing this for the farmers right we are you know doing our little bits to make chocolate fair you know they're selling maybe two or three tons. You know, two or three tons is like the capacity of one of the big, big five chocolate companies in a few minutes. Okay, just to put it into perspective. So what we're trying to do is just show that there is another model which can be done, which is equitable, okay, in these countries, which can scale. Because I think that's what people often, people often think that if, you, if you're complaining, I actually think that this is like a complaint from white people sometimes about black people complaining about the situation, but you're not doing anything to make a difference, right? Well, actually, this is doing something. This is it. This is exactly the reverse. So we're saying that there's a problem. I'm not waiting for anybody to come and fix that problem. We, as a collective, starting small, are looking to do something big, okay? And that is going to require funding. That requires scale. And that's what we're, you know, I, I can't divulge more about this, but that's the sort of thing which we are looking at, being able to grow the cooperative, being able to get to a stage where we're able to supply industrial levels of chocolate, not craft 
chocolate levels, not artisanal, you know, which is nice to be able to, you know, we want to be able to be that good alternative, which has got literally locations around the globe, pockets of good, which are being done by people, which benefits those said same people. So Nick, and I'm, I'm going to get into some real talk right now. So, well, what are some things that chocolate consumers need to know about the chocolate industry and the supply chain and what you're doing, especially when it comes to them being able to make different choices with their consumer dollars? Because they might see your chocolate and go, oh, that's expensive. What, what do you tell them so that they are more amenable to accepting that price versus, well, I can't go and get a Mars bar or a snicker or something else for less, why should I buy this? Okay. So uh, as you said, a few things to unpack. Yeah, you're right. You can always buy cheap. Everybody can buy cheap. You know, a car is a car is a car, but there's very few things in the world where a few dollars more can take you from taking something which is below mediocre to some of the best in the world. That's what I would say about craft chocolate. And when you tried the more expensive craft chocolates, and I'm saying, you know, anywhere between, let's say, seven and ten bucks, you are often trying way superior, literally in the top five percentile of chocolates anywhere in the world, right? Now, ask somebody to do the same thing with wine and see how many thousands of dollars you're, you're spending. Ask them to do the same thing with beef. Ask them to do the same thing with, I don't know, rum or whiskey. So it's not a big jump, number one, for some of the best in the world. Number two, the impact is significantly greater. When you're buying your expensive bottle of whiskey, that money is going to the shareholders and them alone, right? Very little of it is going to the staff. If you're buying craft chocolate where there's direct trade, significantly more money, five, six times the going rate for that cocoa is going direct to the farmers. If you're getting six times your normal wage, how much better would your life be right now? Just just put it into that simple. Hey, bring it on. Show yeah. me the money. That'd be great. That'd be great. So that's another reason. So it may seem like a little bit to you, but it's a whole lot to somebody else. Um, so you've got flavor. You've got the fact that it's significantly better. You've got the fact that it's helping people in more tangible ways. Um, I think people have to realize that if something is cheap, somebody somewhere is being screwed. Okay? Say that again. Sorry for my language. If something no, no, is no, cheap, say it. Real talk. Say it again. If something is cheap, somebody somewhere is being screwed over. Okay? Because it can only be cheap for you, which is ridiculous, right? So all I'm saying is this, right? If you're paying a little bit extra, you're making somebody else's life a little bit better. That's it. It's just a small thing. And if you're already paying $5 for a coffee, right, why is $10 for something a little bit special as a chocolate bar? How is that breaking the bank? Okay? I, I don't honestly think it does, you know? I, I honestly don't. But I understand that people find it a bit difficult. The beautiful thing about craft chocolate is – you're not in it to like munch it down in one go. You know, even if it's an amazing chocolate, it's something to be savored. It's something to, to take on board, to sort of literally take you on a journey every time you take a bite of it. For those of you who may not be into chocolate, like the chocolates you had in Madagascar, those wonderful, really almost, um, 
high fruit, so almost so so mm. fruity. It feels like your taste buds are being torn apart by. Yes, it's, it's almost like a, a a mild acidity in the fruit. It's just yeah. incredible. It's now, really an experience. It's not just okay. I'm 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 hungry, so let me eat this piece of chocolate to <laughs> regulate my exactly. blood my blood levels. No, exactly. it's not that experience at it all. It is. It is nowhere near. It's 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 a completely different experience, and uh, that's what I would say to people. You know, it gives you an opportunity to be able to taste something which is really really special. Uh, and yeah, so- nowadays, it's difficult to get something which is done artisanally. You know, which is cheap you know labor is expensive Uh, it's expensive everywhere everywhere in the world so you know this is a chance to be able to taste something where people have put a lot of effort into giving you something really truly wonderful as a reminder i'm speaking with nick davis a chocolatier founder and ceo of one one cacao and a member of the cross atlantic chocolate collective nick tell me about your fundraising journey for one one cacao so uh, raising funds is always tricky um, and finding the right time to be able to ask for that money and to make sure that that ask is right has been interesting. So everything started very, the, the entry into craft chocolate can be very low. So you don't need that much. Basically, it's like a, a grinder, a refiner, which really sort of pulverizes the roasted beans, which you can roast in the oven. And then literally break it down from a powder into a paste into a liquid. You add sugar to. That's like the basic process of it. That is very. But that's easy. not what you're creating. You're that's trying to create something creating. bigger than that. What what I'm doing, what we're doing, is about creating chocolate with with legs. Chocolate which has an impact. To be able to scale to that level has required my own personal investments. Um, it has required me to you know, go for loans from friends and family. Um, my mum in particular has been incredibly supportive at times. I think I saw a post on your, your Instagram page where yeah. you were bigging up your mom for, for being supportive and being one of your early investors. Definitely. Um, my dad's, you know, um, paying my rent so that I could go to the Northwest Chocolate Festival in Seattle, um, which was definitely one of the most uh, pivotal an important um, moments in my chocolate journey, meeting some of the some of the big players in chocolate um, on a level playing field, uh, was really useful, really good. Um, people who bought my chocolate as friends, you know, um, it's an interesting thing when you're starting out your business. I think everybody has this belief that their friends are going to be there for them. Not when you're making ten dollar chocolate bars, right? Trust me, it is a little bit more chick- tricky. It doesn't matter if you're making, as I have done, a watering chocolate. It's still, for some of them, a big ask. And also, you know, your friends are your friends. There's nothing that special about you, right? You know, it's just the way it is. It's like, it's Nick. You know, I mean, it's Nick, right? That's That can be quite hard, if I'm being truthful, um, is, is realizing that even if people care for you, they, they may not be the ones who are running out and shouting about your brand every five seconds. They, they don't necessarily share that same passion or if they even understand what it is that you're trying to create yeah, you know or they're just waiting for it to fail because like hey you know that's also the way for some because it's nick right? it's that guy exactly it's like yeah that's special um but what has been interesting is why i didn't make some choices 
so I remember in particular, I went to a group of investors and we, I did the whole pitch thing and, and that went well and then was invited to pitch to these angel investors and they were amazing. And, and I would definitely recommend doing this because it's like, you know, people always say when you go in front of like angel investors, it's not like the Shark Tank. They're right. It isn't like the Shark Tank. It's actually way better. Okay. Because it's not about television. So these people will rip apart everything you thought you knew about your business, what your beliefs about the business are. And I remember one in particular, I won't share exactly what the person said, but this person said to me that the play which I was doing was wrong. And I was like, they know nothing about my business. What does she know? Blah, 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 in my brain, right? You know. And then this other one was like, I don't know what the value is in your business. And I was like, you know, actually, neither do I. The more I'm talking to you guys, the more I realize that actually maybe I've got this the wrong way around. And in the end, I didn't take the investment. And they invested in somebody else, which is fine. And uh, But I learned so much from that. I learned that there would be no point in giving away so much of my business at such an early stage when I didn't even know what I needed the money for. You know, sometimes you can be so into the idea of scale, scale, I need this, I need more machines, I need to be able to do, but you don't need that. You need direction and you need to know what your sales will be now, what they'll be in the future and how you're going to get there. That isn't based on having money. Okay. So what you learned from the experience was more valuable than just getting the money. Way, way, way more valuable. And, and I would say that my current business is based off that conversation. And the future of my business is still based off that same conversation. And I never took the money from them. And I, and, and in many reasons, I, I, many ways, I'm glad I didn't because they would be looking at sales in one way and I'd be looking at sales in another. I'd be looking to pivot in one direction, especially during COVID, and they'd be looking to go in another because they, have, they, they own part of the entity. Whereas I, nobody owns what I do. The business has its own life and I kind of push it in a direction. And if that changes, I can change it without having to go to anybody else. Further down the line, yeah, maybe. But I honestly feel that the funding further down the line is going to be based on more things like, almost like property plays um, and other forms of revenue rather than about the chocolate brand itself. And at that, uh, that, that particular moment, it was about the chocolate brand and then buying into the chocolate. And I think that the business has evolved into significantly more than that. And I would argue that as a chocolate company, you can't just be a chocolate company. In the same way that Starbucks isn't just a coffee place, it's a lifestyle play, which just happens to sell coffee. You know, it was a place where you could get free Wi-Fi and feel comfortable and work remotely before it was a thing, right? Mm -hmm. That's the same, that, you know, that so that it was a lifestyle embodied around a little drink, which they then sort of put their own play on it to make it unique. And I think that's the same thing with what I'm hoping for us to be able to do across Atlantic, but definitely with what I'm doing with my own business. What are the biggest challenges and opportunities as a startup in the chocolate industry, as we mentioned, filled with big multinational players? My biggest issue is procrastination. 
Um, I have worked on deadline for so many years as a journalist that without the deadline of literally you are going to fall off air, my, my life doesn't work as well. Okay, there's a little bit more leeway to be able to 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 be lazy. You know, that's my own personal struggle, right? Or maybe just to take it a little slower. I'm sure you're well, not lazy. Like, listen, <laughs> nobody who's building a business is lazy. Like, like the the important thing which I do know is life is short, and so best laid plans go out of the window in a second. And mm. I don't want to be, I don't want to be married to a dream. I don't want to be held hostage to a dream and miss out on reality. And I think you can spend so much time forward planning with a business that you miss out on all of the good stuff, which is happening at the same time. Someone once said to me when I first started the business, a, a former journalist colleague, he said that I should keep a, a diary, just, you know, do a few voice notes a night just to, to catalog the journey. And I was like, that's ridiculous. I really regret not doing that. I honestly regret. Can you still not start? Yeah, of course, of course. Uh, but there's a lot of water which has gone under the bridge. There's a lot of things which I look back on, you know. Um, but there's more water coming. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I, I would say that it is, be careful of the, de the, the demons of Instagram. Mm. And other people are struggling more and are struggling at the same level as what you are. They may just be better at posting their way out of the, out of the blues right um because you can look at instagram you can look at other people's followers and you can be like wow they're doing so well as someone said to me once they were like you know how do you feel seeing other businesses doing better than you and i was like what were the metrics of better your instagram. social media status instagram you, how many followers you have you i literally just had a conversation with a marketer around those vanity metrics and how misleading they can be Because that's not your actual business. Your that's, business is one, one cacao. Exactly. But to people outside of business, that's the only value which they can place on your business. Because as you say, they don't know the numbers. And so if they see you doing stuff, therefore it implies that your business is on the up. Or if you're not doing stuff, it's on the down. Sometimes you can be, one of my favorite chocolate businesses here in Jamaica does not have a webpage. What they do have, is corporate contracts with like six of the biggest companies in Jamaica in the food space. Now, which would I prefer to be? Social media coming out of every single place or making money from those guaranteed six contracts day in, day out, week in, week out. But most people have never heard of them. You know? Yeah, but if your business is not to be an influencer, then those metrics aren't as important as the other stuff that happens Absolutely. offline. Absolutely. So I think you need to be very, you have to guard against being jealous of other people's businesses. I think you need to guard against being jealous of other people's opportunities. I think you have to guard against schadenfreude when things don't work out for your competitors. Uh, because we can all be terrible people when it comes to watching other people fail, right? You don't want to be that person either. I think you need to, I think you need to take healthy breaks You need to exercise, you need to walk in the morning, you need to have time to clear your brain with no podcasts about business, with no, and I mean that respectfully, just time. Not even listening to me? Not even listening. Well, yes, <laughs> at the same time. You can't do two things at the same time, okay? 
Find the one thing that you need to do and get that done to the best of your ability and then move on to the next thing. Okay, because otherwise you do 15 things terribly. Okay, just one thing, even if it's for the day, you'll be way more productive. Um, dream, really dream, right? Even if you have somebody, and please find somebody in your life who can bring you back down to earth and show you the reality, but dream big because that's where the insight comes, that's where the inspiration comes, and that's what sets you apart. The ultimate currency in any business. You know, even outside of business business people, because I didn't come from this from a business background, but I came from it from a creative background, and I feel that that gives me way more ideas and way more flexibility in terms of what I think is possible and what you can do and what you can't do than I think some other people. I think some people are very good at executing on other people's ideas, and some people are very good at the ideas. You need to find people who can kind of, you know, dovetail with to give you that edge if you're one or the other, you know? So Nick, as we wrap up this conversation, what are you most hopeful about in the startup chocolate sector? Across Atlantic, the Cross Atlantic Chocolate Collective, I think has got so much potential. It's really hard work and there's some incredible people, uh, Jillian and Aaron, uh, who are doing some amazing things with some amazing people, um, with some amazing allies to really shake things up. I can't talk about how incredible it is, but it it is inspiring to see these people, these people who I know, really not punching above their weight, just showing representation where it needs to be shown, right? Um, that is inspiring. Um, it's great working with new makers in incredible parts of the world as they start their chocolate journey. That's inspiring. Um, it's wonderful. I, I love the education side of my business. I'm really, really excited about the future of that um, because, you know, I think, I, I honestly think that, as I said to you, this is my birthright. Like anybody whose family is from the Caribbean or from anywhere within the Western Hemisphere, our people weren't here, right? We came here not of our own volition, right? And we ended up doing ridiculously hard work, which killed many, many, many people. If this isn't owed to us, if I can't take this, because they're not giving, not giving us reparations anytime soon, right? So if I can't take this as my birthright, I can't have anything, right? So I'm taking it. And even though we still have in the Caribbean in particular, some really kind of like, dodgy post-colonial rubbish going on still in terms of who should be entitled to get wealth within our societies mm -hmm. right at least I'm that's for another that. conversation that but that needs that needs to be addressed absolutely mm -hmm. but i'm doing my bit because i know that this is mine and i am going to figure a way to be able to get what is owed nick thank you so much thanks for stopping by the wtf podcast now, can you tell our listeners before I wrap up where they can learn more about chocolate colored people making chocolate? Okay. So please check out the Cross Atlantic Chocolate Collective. So XACC on Instagram. Uh, please check out, same thing. Uh, if you go to Chocolate Rebellion uh, on Google, type in Chocolate Rebellion, that'll take you to uh, rural uh, uh, organization uh, in Trinidad who will 
basically sort of outline the history of oppression uh, within chocolate uh, for people of colour, but also about what is in the future, which is significantly brighter and shinier than what happened in the past. Um, you can go to my Instagram, which is one one cacao o n e o n e c a c a o one one cacao dot com one one cacao on Instagram. Um, Try Island Chocolate. You can check out Kwanzaa Chocolate. You can check out Oheni Chocolate in Ghana. You can check out. I mean, there's so many of these amazing chocolate makers around the globe um, who Afi's Chocolates in Dominica, who are doing their own little thing um, to make a difference, uh, to kind of represent in spaces and places which, you know, we may have been, but we're often invisible. So, yeah, please check those places out. Thank you, Nick. To my listeners, I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you liked it, leave a rating, a review, download it, or share this episode. Join me next Friday for a new episode on the Alive Podcast Network and subscribe on your favorite podcast streaming platforms like Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and more to get notified when new episodes drop. To be a guest or sponsor the podcast, email me at wheresthefunding at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Instagram at wheresthefunding underscore podcast. And follow me, your host, Michelle J. McKenzie, on LinkedIn. Join me next Friday for another episode.